This audio production is brought to you by TheBestDayEver.com, David Wolf's premium longevity member site. The content found on TheBestDayEver.com from David Wolf and New Horizon Health, Inc. is for informational purposes only and is in no way intended as medical advice, as a substitute for medical counseling, or as treatment cure for any disease or health condition, and nor should it be construed as such because that would be illegal. Always work with a qualified health professional before making any changes to your diet, supplement use, prescription drug use, lifestyle, or exercise activities. Please understand that you assume all risks from the use, non-use, or misuse of this information. Greetings, everybody. This is David Avocado Wolf, and today I'm going to be joined by an amazing doctor, and we are gearing up for her presentation coming up very soon at the Women's Wellness Conference. We, we've almost got a sold-out event. All the details are at www.womenswellnessconference.com. It's going to be September 19, 2021-22. Orange County Hilton Hotel in Costa Mesa, California will be the location. It's one of our favorite locations. We've been there for years and years and years with all different kinds of events, yet the Women's Wellness Conference is the one that's really got us all jazzed right now. We've got people coming in from all over the world to hear our incredible lineup of speakers. And one of the great speakers we're going to have is Dr. Alyssa Rankin. She's a mind-body medicine physician. She's the founder of Whole Health Medicine. Um, it's an institute and it, that trains physicians and other health care providers um, on how to take on these new concepts. Basically, they're related to her book, which is called Mind over medicine. It's a New York Times bestseller. She's on a grassroots mission to put the care back into health care. She's extraordinarily versed in many of my favorite subjects, including the placebo effect, which we're going to talk about here in a second. So with no further ado, I'm going to introduce Dr. Lissa Rankin. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing out there? I'm great. I just got back from Peru, so I'm in this really like zend out. I've been hanging out with shamans, so I'm good. All right. So you were you in the Andes or were you in the Amazon? I, I was two days ago. I was at sixteen thousand feet at a Caro village. Yeah, in, interviewing shamans for a book that I'm writing now called Sacred Medicine, which is a study of anomalous healing. Oh, fantastic! I, those are my favorite people: the Pacos, the Caro people. I felt really blessed to be welcomed into their community. I was sleeping in a little hut with eight people in a in a hut the size of my bathroom. It was really, really wonderful. Did you go up to Osangate, like underneath the glacier? I was right at the base of Waimanlipa. Um, oh, right. Yeah, it was really, it was, I was in the biggest, the biggest of the, of the, I think there's six villages, six Kara villages. We went to two of, the three of them, actually. Those are my favorite people in the world. I love those people. Really unbelievably, unconditionally loving, beautiful beings. And, and some of the longest lived people in the world, it, it's not unusual for those, for those folks to be living like, I mean, 120, 118, having kids in their 50s. I have a friend of mine who's a Caro. She had a baby at age 51. Wow. Yeah, I met the oldest woman in the, the oldest living woman in the Caro village. Her name is Cipriana, and she's over 100. She doesn't know exactly how much over 100. <laughs> but uh, she was doing a despacho, this sort of blessing of Pachamama and the Apus, the mountains. This is their sort of masculine and feminine gods. So we, we got you at the right time. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your book, Mind Over Medicine. I think that's how most people are aware of your work, or maybe you've seen you on 
your TED Talks or on YouTube. Tell us about the, the, the main concept, I mean, you know, that placebo concept, because that's an area that I just love. Well, you know, David, I, I come from a very conventional background. My dad was a very Western doctor, and I was, you know, scrubbing in on surgeries when I was 12 years old, and I went to universities like Duke and Northwestern, sort of the ivory towers of academic medicine. And, you know, I this whole sort of new age notion of the body can heal itself it was just sort of, a, I thought it was a bunch of bunk, and certainly that's what... I was trained during my education was to believe that the reason I went to school for 12 years is because I know your body better than you do and it's my job to cure you. And that was sort of the, you know, that was my worldview for a long time until, you know, I was practicing medicine for eight years in a very conventional practice and I started sensing that something was just really off. I wound up quitting my job in conventional medicine in 2007 and it took me a while to realize that you can quit your job but you don't quit your calling. So I was trying to kind of come back into the world of medicine in a way that felt more authentic and more honoring of what I sensed, which was, you know, kind of this, I think this is why I loved being in Peru, that notion of the spiritual and the science being married together as part of the healing process has always been something that's felt really true to me, but it wasn't part of my training. I wound up starting an integrative medicine practice back in 2009. I was practicing a very different kind of medicine. I, I, I still I still don't really know what to call it, so I called it whole health medicine because it was different than integrative medicine. It was different than holistic health. To me, integrative medicine means you refer to acupuncturists and you send people to see, you know, a naturopath. And I was doing those things. But And holistic health to me sort of meant, as a doctor, this meant, oh, you instead of using drugs, you use herbs and supplements. <laughs> And what I was doing was different. It was, it was very spiritual. It was a, I was asking people a lot of questions about, for example, you know, what might lie at the root of your illness? Like what might be out of alignment with your truth in your life? And what is your body saying no to? What, what does your body need in order to heal? These were the sorts of questions that I was asking patients. And they were coming up with these intuitive answers that were pretty surprising. They were saying things to me when I'd say, what does your body need in order to heal? They'd say things like, I need to quit my job or I need to get out of my toxic marriage or I need to move to Santa Fe, one woman said. Santa Fe, why? And she said, I don't know, but I have a vacation home there and whenever I go there, all of my symptoms go away. So my wow. patients started making these really radical changes in their lives, and they started having these spontaneous remissions from these chronic conditions that doctors, you know, at places like Stanford and UCSF had told them were incurable or that they'd be medication-dependent for the rest of their lives. And I'm witnessing these spontaneous remissions, and I didn't understand this at all. So Mind Over Medicine really began as, a, you know, as in reaction to that. Like, what in the world is happening to these people? So I started studying spontaneous remissions. I came across a whole database that was put together by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which is over 3,500 case reports published in the, in the conventional medical literature of people who had everything from stage 4 cancer to heart disease to diabetes to thyroid disease to autoimmune disorders who had these spontaneous remissions, which they defined as either no Western medical treatment or medical treatment determined by physicians to be inadequate for cure. And these people had cures. So that's, you asked me about the placebo effect. I gave you the long, the long answer. But it was my study of spontaneous remissions that led me to the data about the placebo effect because my question was, can the body heal itself? Is this, is this legitimate? Or were these people 
misdiagnosed? Were they, I don't, like, what was happening? Were they, were they the result of miracles? Is this some, you know, divine intervention? Or is there physiology to this? Is there science behind this? And that's when I, when I stumbled across all of the data on the placebo effect. And this is no surprise, right? I mean, in medical school, we're taught about the placebo effect. It's a known phenomena that it, that was basically, um, discovered as a kind of side effect of the pharmaceutical trials that were used to determine whether a new drug was efficacious, whether it was better than what happens when you give somebody a sugar pill. And so it was found in the 1950s. Prior to the 1950s, the placebo effect wasn't really recognized. But in the 1950s, these people, these clinical researchers who were studying pharmaceuticals recognized that we needed to account for the fact that if you give people a sugar pill or a saline injection or even a fake surgery, that 18 to 80 percent of them will have resolution or improvement or resolution of their symptoms as a result of this fake treatment. You just touched on my favorite thing ever, which is fake surgeries. This is real (laughs) stuff. That's the, the placebo effect on fake surgeries is so outrageous. The research on it's so outrageous. It just led me finally to the real conclusion that the human body, if, if you if you just get your brain or your spiritual center or whatever the part of the body is that causes yourself to heal, you get it organized and set in the right direction. Anything can be healed. Well, and you know what's amazing, David, is the placebo effect is directly correlated to the kind of placebo. So, for example, a sugar pill is less effective than a saline injection, and a fake surgery is more effective than a saline injection or a sugar pill. And if you take the sugar pill once a day, it's less effective than if you take it three times a day. And even certain colors, certain colors of pills are more effective than other colors of pills. So it's And, and fake surgery is, is often the most effective. There, there was a very... Classic surgery that used to be treat, used for treatment of angina, of chest pain from heart disease, called mammary artery ligation. And, you know, they would crack open the chest and go in and ligate the mammary artery that goes on the inside of the rib cage. And the theory was that if the blood wasn't going into the mammary artery, it would shunt it into the heart, and you would get more blood flow to the heart, and it would improve chest pain. And so 80% of people got better when they got this surgery. It was considered very effective surgery until they did a clinical trial where they they decided to, to study the actual surgery and compare it to what happens if you crack the chest open and you don't ligate the mammary artery. You just open the chest and put it back together again. And they found that 80% of people got better even if you didn't ligate the mammary artery. So now they don't do that surgery anymore. It's, it exists only in medical history. I wanted to get at the root of that. What is happening physiologically when people are having a response to a placebo that's a real response? Because when I looked at the data, one of my questions was are people just feeling better, right? Like is this just happening kind of in the mind or is there demonstrable physical response? And what I found is there is physical response, like ulcers are healing as the result of sugar pills or colons are becoming less inflamed or people's blood counts are going up or their viral loads are going down or their cancer load is, is changing. Like there's stuff that's happening physiologically in the body that you can measure. So it's not just that people are feeling better because they believe they're getting a new miracle cure. It's that there are measurable responses in the physiology. So my question was, how can we, okay, so if if we know that the placebo effect is real and it's possible for the body to physiologically demonstrate improvement as the result of fake treatment, what is that and how can we harness it? 
So I wound up interviewing a great guy. He's Ted Kapchick at Harvard runs the program of in placebo studies, the PIPS program. And he's an incredible researcher. He's published many very, very highly respected articles in the New England Journal of Medicine and other very well-respected medical journals. And interestingly, Ted is not a PhD or an MD. He's a Chinese medicine doctor. He's this incredible Harvard professor and researcher. And he's been studying the placebo effect from the perspective, not as a side effect of pharmaceutical trials, but how can we use this? And what he found, for example, is he did a whole study on patients with irritable bowel syndrome, and he found that even if you tell people it's a placebo, they get improvement. So even if they know it's fake treatment, if it's delivered to them in in the right hands, in the right way, if I come to you in my white coat and I hand you a sugar pill and I say, this is a sugar pill, there's no active ingredients in here, but I believe this is going to make you better, and research has demonstrated that it's likely to make you better, those people, a percentage of them will still get better even if they know that it's placebo. So I asked Ted, I said, do you think it's all belief? Is it all intention and belief? And he said, no. He said, that's part of it, but he said another very important part of it is the nurturing care of the right kind of healer. So I came to to redefine the placebo effect such that the placebo to me is positive belief mixed with nurturing care. That's so amazing. I mean, that makes so much sense. That really, I think I think you're onto something really amazing right there with what you what you just laid out for us. And mm. that is the, one of the key things is that somebody is listening to what the person's problem is and cares. Exactly. Exactly. The healer really matters. It really matters. So to say that the body can heal itself is true, but it's sort of a misnomer because the reality is the body can heal itself, but it needs a facilitator. We all have natural self-healing mechanisms in the body. This is well known. They teach us this in medical school. It's in all of our physiology texts. All of us make cancer cells every day. We fight cancer every day. We're all exposed to bacteria and viruses and fungi, and we fight infection every day. You know, there are proteins in our bodies that break down, and the body knows how to put these proteins back together. There's natural anti-aging mechanisms in the body. This is all well known. But what I didn't realize before I started studying, you know, everything that I was studying that I wrote about in Mind Over Medicine is that those natural self-healing mechanisms only operate when the nervous system is in the relaxation response. So there's two states of the nervous system. There's the sympathetic fight-or-flight stress response, and then there's the parasympathetic relaxation response of, of homeostasis. And when the body is in relaxation response, it has these natural self-healing mechanisms that are always trying to do their job. But in modern culture, the nervous system is in stress response on average about 50 times per day. And every time we're in stress response, those self-healing mechanisms are turned off. So one of the things that researchers theorize about the placebo effect is that that combination of positive belief, of thinking, wow, maybe I'm getting the miracle drug and I'm going to finally be rid of these symptoms that have been causing me stress, that combination of positive belief plus nurturing care, right, the right kind of healer that takes you into their arms and says, you're not alone anymore. I'm here with you. We're going to we're going to get through this together, and you're going to feel better at the end of all of this. It relaxes the nervous system. The nervous system drops into that parasympathetic homeostatic response. The self-healing mechanisms get flipped on, and all of a sudden the body starts taking care of itself again. It's, I just find it amazing that you started out as a as – a, and first of all, you come from a medical doctor family. 
and mm. if you grew up inside that world, and then you went through your whole journey through medical school, became a doctor yourself, were on medication, and then coming through all of that, now you're in Peru, <laughs> <laughs> sleeping in a hut with eight other people at 16,000 feet, studying taco shaman. Um, I mean, that right there is absolutely awesome. That is I kind of look at myself sometimes and I'm like, how in the world did I end up here? I mean, really, David, like if you had known me even five years ago, this like I'm new to this whole thing. I consider myself a student of all of this. I I feel very humbled by what I don't know. Um, and that's not who I was when I was 30 coming out of my medical training where I thought I knew everything. I mean, I was so cocky with all of my fancy new medical knowledge. And, you know, now, especially having just come back from working with these shamans, they have knowledge and wisdom I can't even begin to explain. It's like science. We love repeatable, studyable phenomena, right? That makes us think this is real. And yet, you know, philosophers have a different approach. They have a, they have a, a kind of a, an area of study they call phenomenology. And phenomenology in medicine is dismissed as what's called quote unquote anecdotal medicine. In other words, one person's story doesn't mean anything to a scientist. But to a philosopher, they're saying, yeah, but one person's story adds up to another person's story adds up to another person's story. And when you have a thousand people all explaining these sort of miracle cures, then you've got a phenomena, and let's look at the phenomena. So I've had to sort of let go in some ways of my my cognitive mind and the way my scientific brain likes to package things, and I've had to be willing to just look at the phenomena. Like I'm talking to this Paco shaman who's telling me, you know, well, yeah, sure, if somebody breaks their leg and we have access to a hospital, we would prefer to take the patient to the hospital. But it's a 22-hour walk to the closest hospital, so instead, we, we use our hands to channel source energy to return the bone to its natural state, and, and it goes back together, and they can walk the next day. And I'm looking at him like, really? Really? <laughs> but he's saying, yeah, yeah, that, that's what happens. <laughs> it's, you know, those, those Paco shamans, they have to be hit by lightning three times. I met can... one of them that was hit. His name is Walter. He was hit by lightning 16 years ago three times, and that's how they know that they're the Alta, Alta Masano, Alti Masano, I forget how to say it. That's the highest level of shaman is if you've been hit by lightning three times and survived. Yeah. That's I said, it. what if you, what if you're hit by lightning two times? They're like, no. I said, and what if somebody's hit by lightning and they don't survive? And they said, well, then, then they're not a shaman. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. I felt I've got, I've very humbled. I have to say, I feel, are... um, the, the number of things I can't explain far exceeds the number of things I can. So the older I get, I, I realize the less I know. <laughs> It's a, it's a very interesting point of wisdom, though. I mean, that's, that's something that's, it's like, I think the beginning of wisdom is that when you are comfortable having no explanation. Right. Right? And not well, having to explain it, just, just, just that it is. You know, that. I remember meeting a midwife from Mexico once and, you know, they just feed chocolate like crazy to the mom right before she has the baby, like, you know, the last month. And we we're, were like, well, why? And they, they just said, well, because that's what you do. You know, there was no explanation. There wasn't, they didn't, it was just interesting from that indigenous wisdom. There was no need to explain exactly. why. It's just what you do. Exactly. Like we have a worldview that is so dominated by, for example, fear of the unknown, fear of what we can't explain, fear of uncertainty. 
And for them, like you said, the, the whole notion of needing to explain, they don't understand why we need to explain everything. They're perfectly okay with an explanation like something unknown is doing we don't know what. <laughs> we have to explain everything. We do. And, you know, I am I feel kind of cursed with my scientific mind because I like to understand things. I mean, I honestly think I went to medical school on one level so that I could control death. Me, I've got it. Death is, you know, I, I'm on it. Um, and, and that's how arrogant we become as physicians. We feel like it's our job to cure people. And if we don't do our job well, somebody's going to die. And that whole concept doesn't exist among the shaman. Like, they don't feel like death is something to fear. In fact, to become a shaman, part of what they do is what they call the work of the West, which is overcoming their own fear of death. They go through these initiatory rites that are about being born twice. So it's the shaman is one who has already died in life and been reborn, um, either either literally sort of as these having been hit by lightning and dying and kind of having these near-death experiences and, and reawakening, or through ritual and initiatory rites or the use of ayahuasca and things like this, where they, they have this sort of metaphoric death, if not a real one. And then they're able to live their lives with beyond fear, beyond the fear of death, beyond the fear of the unknown or the uncertain. It's It's very brave. It's a very courageous way of living that makes us sort of seem like sissies here in the West. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting, especially in Peru, because it's such an intact Native American culture there. Mm-hmm. And in, in that way, it's, it's so unique. There's a large group of people still with their indigenous culture, their indigenous language, their indig- indigenous healing technology, and, you know, their, just their indiz- indigenous cosmology. Mm-hmm. So it's so cool. So let me ask you this question. We'll bring it bring it to sure. you know, back to women's wellness because we've got a bunch of folks who are going to be joining us at women's wellness listening right now. We've got, we're going to have a big group here. This is this is going way past our expectations. We might have a thousand people there. Wow, that's so that's what that's what we think it's going to it's going to hit here. And we we're we're in the process wow. right now of trying to get the right room in that same hotel to get all those folks into the room with with room to spare. What are what are you going to be sharing at women's wellness? Um, what, what are what are some of the, the key ideas that you're going to be bringing there for us? <laughs> you know, you would ask me a question like that because, uh, to, to be honest, when I am in a room with a thousand people that are all sharing an intention, I I often don't know what's going to come through. It's almost like I have to get into this state of tuning into the room and sort of reading the collective and in some way that I can't explain, talk about something unknown as doing we don't know what, in some way, I become sort of the, the mouthpiece of the collective of whatever in that room is needing to be heard. So I often will come into my public speaking with, you know, bullet points, and, you know, a lot of times people will want to know, what is your outline of your talk? And it may completely change in the moment depending on what the collective, how the collective uses me as the mouthpiece. But my, my intention going into these kinds of events is always to activate the part of of the individual that's listening that I call your inner pilot light. And I write about this a lot in Mind Over Medicine. It's that sort of true essence, your spiritual nature, your highest self, your, you know, your Buddha nature, your Christ consciousness, whatever you want to call it from your own background, that that true essence of self. Because I really think that self-healing comes built on the foundation of that part of ourselves. 
And the Caro people in Peru, they they know this part of themselves. They're living from this part of themselves. And this part of them has the wheel of the car of their lives. It's, it's in charge. It's It's driving and it's making their decisions. And in our culture, it seems to me that a lot of us have forgotten that this part of us even exists. So I may talk about a lot of cognitive stuff, and I may use science. We may talk about medicine and health and self-healing and the placebo effect and these sorts of things. But the, my real goal, sort of my secret goal, is that if in some way people come out of my talk and they feel that essence of self and they feel like they've been loved during the time that they sat there in the room and they feel like they've found soul community with the people that are sitting around them, and they're able to use that as a vehicle to step into kind of their true purpose of why are you here and what is your role in, in you know, lift, shifting consciousness on the planet of healing each other, ourselves, the planet, whatever you want to call it. That's always my goal is sort of underlying everything else. Fantastic. Well, you've written an incredible book, Mind Over Medicine. You've got some other great books, sounds like, coming out. Want to just let everybody know who's listening right now. We're all going to be together uh, at womenswellnessconference.com. You can find out all the details. September 19, 2021, 20, 22 in Orange County, California at the Orange County Hilton. It's going to be an extraordinary event. We're expecting now a thousand people at that event and uh, we're going to have a whole lot of fun in, in, as, like in the hall, in the room, at the tonic bar, up in our rooms in the hotel. It's like, it's a very, like, I like to say it's like a, a community experience because a lot of us who have these same ideas, people who want to, who want to share in the, you know, the magic of what's being discovered about health and wellness, are, we all are kind of coming from the same place and then we all get together, but we're all from around the world. It's really quite a phenomenal experience and Dr. Lissa Rankin is going to be right in the middle of it. Any last parting words for us, Dr. Rankin? Oh, I'm, I'm just really excited. I'm really excited to, to learn from everybody else that's going to be there, too, and to meet you and to meet everybody who's going to come and be part of this soul community together. So thank you for the blessing and the opportunity and the honor of being part of it. Awesome. I'm going to wear my, my Peruvian poncho, one of my Peruvian ponchos, just for you. Oh, I'm wearing my Peruvian alpaca sweater right now. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. You heard David. it here, folks. This this is uh, David Avocado Wolf here with Dr. Lisa Rankin. We're wishing you the best day ever. See you at Women's Wellness. This program was brought to you by thebestdayever.com. Thanks for listening.